I'm here with Z from RIC here in Los Angeles, California. Thanks for having me at your headquarters today. No problem. I see a lot of your videos, love your videos. Glad to be on the show. Thank you, man. I did a video with your company earlier and featuring some of the great footage that you had of your projects over in China. Uh, now you have this office set up in Los Angeles. Your printer is pretty unique. You've got an attachment on the extruder head to extend the range from a typical robotic arm. And I even saw it on a track system. Uh, it's a cool technology. I guess let's start off with uh, how did this company begin and where did it start from for you? Okay, great. So the company started off as a research project back in China. And then after that, we did a series of projects that we can show you videos on later on. But it's, I came here for grad school and then in my studying uh, career, I figured out uh, the technology can have so much use here in the United States, and especially with the cost and uh, with the way we do things, it will have a so much better market here in the U.S. So that's why we decided to test it out. We shipped our first printer here last December, and then we, based on the printer, we developed a whole material system that uses all U.S. local materials, so that's to save cost, and then to ship shipping, and then to have a more consistent uh, mature supply. Yeah, I mean, you say last September, which is super recent, but there was a lot of research and development in China to help you build on. Yes, yes. Before that, we had about 140,000 hours of research hours combined together. So that's why we were able to gain a lot of knowledge. And that's why we know what criteria, what performance we're looking for in our printers and our materials. That's why we were able to get something that's unique and then something that's workable with such a short period of time. In the videos, everybody pays all of the attention to the printer, uh, but you were mentioning a big part of the R&D struggle is actually the material. Yeah, because the material is more important than the equipment, in mm -hmm. a sense. Because anybody can technically put together a 3D printing system. It's not rocket science. A 3D-dimensional locating system, you can do it with a gantry system, you can do it with a robot arm, that's something that's already available in the construction industry and then in the in, uh, manufacturing industry as well. So you just bring those in and then you attach it to a semi-smart concrete pump. Mm -hmm. And then, but from that point on, the printer and then the mixer pump together creates a unique dynamic and a unique criteria for the material to work. And that's actually where the science and where the majority of the R&D goes in because you want the material to be sticky enough, but also flowable enough to be extruded. And then you want it to set in a certain amount of time, but not too fast so that you clog the system. And also you want to be able to do uh, cantilevers, you want it to do different shapes. Mm -hmm. And then so those are just different criteria to want to go. So this material you actually have in here, is that spare, you're so busy, you don't have extra room for stuff, or is it for demonstration purposes? That's actually because we want to consider us as a very uh, cost-efficient company, mm -hmm. and that, that's why we use every bit of space, including the office itself, as storage. That's, I mean, the lower overhead we have now is the overall uh, lower cost, and then that's how we are able to bring our material and our equipment and our software to the, uh, to the market with such a competitive price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. I mean, it's great just to see in terms of this is how it started and then you see all the printed objects around is what it became. Yes, definitely, definitely. Because it's definitely a, a struggle for the last six months, especially after the printer arrives. We've seen a lot of collapses. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not even funny. Uh, our, our trash company hates us. 
every 3D printed construction company or anyone who's operated a printer knows what you're talking about. It's exactly. never easy. Yeah, yeah. But actually, though, but the way our company works, though, we are a technology company. So we see a problem, we deal with it, we solve it, including the, the water system, because the city, the fire department hates us in the beginning. So now we come up with a system where we basically recycle all our water in-house, nice. and it comes out clean and dry. The only stuff that comes out is uh, in the bag, and then we throw them out with all our other construction trash you know, for from a construction uh, uh, disposal site. Dip- disposal, yeah, yeah. So everything is like in order, and then it's not damaging the environment. So you make a bunch of concrete mixes, and you print a bunch of stuff, and you see what what doesn't crack. Well, because uh, from our a previous experience, we know how to make it not crack. Mm-hmm. So we, we, I think our stuff only cracked once, that's in the very beginning. And then now, like even with like very long, very skinny prints, we have not seen cracks. And then the, uh, the compression test, I mean, right now, oh, our uh, most current and most cheapest uh, uh, mix, it's reaching about 7,500 PSI in two weeks. And that's, nice. yeah. And that's way more than enough to do uh, 3D printing housing. Yeah, it's always a struggle printing in a new location, dealing with some unforeseen circumstances if you have to get new materials or even some of the changes like temperature, humidity. Uh, do you have any plan for addressing that when you start printing in many different regions? Yeah, so that's why when we started off this uh, material research here in the US, we are adamant on using local materials. Mm-hmm. So first of all, uh, cement, we use the most common Portland cement that you can find in the country. You can literally go to Home Depot and buy the same cement. Mm-hmm. And then the sand, we use it from the, one of the largest sand courtyards uh, uh, from the state of the Vulcan Company. They have great sand for really reasonable price. And then, so those two are actually the majority of the cost. And then the way yeah. we bring that down enable us to have like a lot of room for additives and such. And then also all the additives we uh, we purchase from local distributors and then so they first of all to support support US businesses and also to have a really uh, strong supply of the material itself is it C52.5 or I525 something like that you mean the, additive or? the cement mix oh the, the cement the cement itself is uh, just type 25 mm. it's the most common ones in Home Depot mm-hmm. yeah so I mean we there's better cement no, make no mistake, but we want the most common because that's what will uh, end up as a most sustainable uh, supply chain. Yeah, definitely, and scalability. I mean, yeah. if it's available at every Home Depot, yeah, uh, you don't have to worry about shipping things in long distance as much. Exactly, exactly. And then, because uh, even though 3D printing as unique as high tech it sounds, the majority of the cost at the end of the day, it's still the material itself. It's still the conventional you know, getting the stuff to the site. And then even though 3D printing eliminates a lot of uh, the moving parts, but those still factors in the overall cost to, and, and, de- uh, and delivery for the customers. On top of that, at the end, the printer goes away, the material's there forever. So Exactly. So like exactly. you're saying, the most important. Uh, you've taken a very holistic approach to 3D printed buildings on some of your projects in China, even printing Part of the roof, exactly. So um, the research done in China uh, led by a professor that was a purist, and he is adamant on every single piece from the foundation up 
that is 3D printed concrete. And then one of the uh, results we have is a arch, the uh, arch the roof that has been able to give us a very strong roof and with a unique design. Mm -hmm. Not everybody loves it, but that is certainly a purest way and then one of the only ways currently to 3D print every part of the building. Yeah, it's very uncommon to see a printed roof. I don't know if I've even seen another one besides uh, the guy in Italy who printed that kind yeah, of just... The dome, yeah. It looks like a cardboard house almost, yeah, but... Yeah. Uh, so, you're an architect uh, by education, or you were going to be an architect. So, I was trained as an architect as undergrad. I went to school here, or first graduate school for architecture, and then decided to go to Ivy League because why not? And then, but when I actually went there, I realized there's so much more I can achieve with my life, and uh, there's so much more I can, you know, build with the current resources that I have. So I did what every so-called startup founder did. So I dropped out and I started a company back here in Los Angeles. So coming from that framework of design, is that the most interesting part of 3D printing for you, or? Well, uh, I'm a three-generation architect family, and mm -hmm. then, so even my grandfather before, my father was an architect. Wow. So we've been seeing a lot of you know, challenges as architects, you know, especially the communication between architects and the GC. Mm -hmm. I mean, the developers want something that's in their mind, but it's architects to realize that plan, and then, but it's general contractor, and then their subject contractor, and then their labor to actually realize it. And then that's a huge information loss through every step. Yeah. And then it will always come down to, as you were saying before, architect design something, and then the GC that that guy does not know what he's doing, even though he might be architect for thirty years. And that's a that's a problem in the industry because it's still a craft industry or craftsman industry. And then it's really down to the last man who does the job that gets it done, even though he might have tools, but it's not standardized. It's not as considered as a machine. So the architect doesn't really know. He might have. Know, some idea of what the guy can do, but he doesn't really know. So right now, that's why we decided as architects to do something about it using technology, and then using machines and then you know, softwares and then AI and then all the good stuff. That the result is something the architects can understand because all architects play with uh, tabletop 3D printers, and then in that way, you it's something that is reachable and then it's something that's. Uh, Simulatable on their computer. Something that actually follows your directions. <laughs> exactly, exactly. If you want to go on a straight line, you will go on a straight line. If you want to curve, that's a curve. It's not, you want to curve, and then the GC says, ah, I maybe can do it. And then their subcontractor, oh, I'm going to charge you three times as much. And then their guy said, I'm not going to do it. So that's about months later. And then it costs the developer's fortune. The architects say, oh, my design is not realized. And everybody might not end up hating the end result. But you, by introducing uh, technology, introducing robotic arms, introducing AI technology, you can have something that the architect design and he know exactly what, how it's going to come yeah. out. That's something that we as architects really wants to have, and then that's something we have been trying to give to architects. And actually, at the end of the day, all of that cost saving ends up being a lot better product with a lot cheaper overall price for the customer. Is there a big difference between this mix and the mix for those? Oh yeah, so this is actually three different mixes. Mm -hmm. So that mix was about like almost half a year ago. Very dry. Yeah, that's very dry, and then it cracked a lot. That's 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 when we were first able to print something. Yeah, but it's a different kind of cracking. Uh, 
it's not a through and through vertical crack. Yeah, so that crack we call it we call it we call it loose because mm -hmm. uh, the the binding agent is not doing its job correctly. Yeah, and then so these two mixes are our high pressure and the, to do cantilever. You can see that just go in and out, in and out. Has no problem doing cantilevers even even at forty five degrees, and then that's also a material that doesn't cost a fortune mm -hmm. because there are market uh, material on the market that costs about twelve hundred per per super set per ton. Uh, basically twelve hundred dollar per ton. It costs about thirty percent of that. Wow! And then that's a different mix. That's our building mix. That's a little less uh, strength. Yeah, it doesn't need the overhang ability. It doesn't need the overhang. Yeah, so that costs about seventy five percent of the other mix. But that's first of all the strength enough, it doesn't crack, and then as long as it's going on straight upward, that's no problem with it. Yeah, so we really take different scale and different type of products we're printing into our mix designs to give the best solution for that product. Do all your mixes get mixed completely before the hose, or do you have any accelerants or retarders at the extruder head? So that's something you can see when we're printing. So everything get mixed before it's it's in the big mixer. Mm -hmm. So we use a batch mixing. Mm -hmm. That's a little easier to control, and it allows you to do faster uh, pace. Mm -hmm. so that and then that's uh, the new machine. That's our first prototype that you're gonna be be able to see. Cool. So the mixing pump system is obviously a very important component. Yeah. So uh, and in the beginning we were using a separate mixer and a separate pump. And that's actually a lot of uh, labor involved. It's very dangerous. Uh, our guys are need to weigh lifting 100 pound boxes, and then that's just not ideal. Not ideal, exactly. And then that's why we came up with a system where the material lifts itself, dumps itself, makes itself, and then after mix, it dumps into the pump automatically, and then it just pumps out. So now it's a two man job instead of a three guy job. And we'll see that today. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so we developed all the system itself. Which the only thing that's purchased is the robot arm, but that's also a early on decision we made. Uh, using a gantry system, I ideally is great. You know, you set it up and then it's it's moving and then you cover the whole space. But there's drawbacks to it uh, because first of all, you need certain amount of space to start printing, and then the gantry system itself. There is a it costs a fortune, and that's why a lot of three D printing companies have great technology, and it's not really scaling, and then so that's why we took the approach of how do we get a very consistent, very uh, very mass produced product to do this three dimensional locating system, and then one of the most massively used uh, technology is robotic arm, the six axis robotic arm, and then that thing costs costs a lot in the states as well. But the company we use, KUKA, uh, was bought by a Chinese company. Uh, they manufacture that in China now, and it's just half the price. When was KUKA bought by a Chinese company? Uh, don't quote me on that. It's about three years, three or four years ago. Cool. And then they have their own plant in China, and uh, we are one of the few companies that that's allowed to export uh, the whole system. Nice. I mean, because we don't export the robot arm, we export the 3D printing mm -hmm. concrete system. And then that's how we are able to get like a insane cost compared to everybody else. Do you have your printer for sale? Yes, we do. So our printers are in three different shapes. 
the the standalone the stationary one, which is good for printing well like small ADUs and then small affordable housings are or sculptures or, or even smaller to sculptures and then landscape products is about 160k. That's with the uh, pump and mix unibody. Wow, that's affordable. Yeah, that, that that's one of the most that's one of the most important parts that we want to do. That's something that's really affordable. And then, and then we have the capability to pump our machine about 20 units a month. And then the lead time is about three months. And then that's a, to play safe because of the pandemic and then the shipping, all that taking into consideration. Mm -hmm. So we, and then the, the reason we were able to get that is that every single piece is modular. And then it's nothing is like a huge thing that you has a huge lead time. And so we take every part down to the smallest part, and then it's the most easiest way to construct. That's the shortest lead time I've heard of for a concrete printer. They're all four months, not three months. Yeah, well, and then and then the, the way we can, it's not that we, and then the way we do it is not, oh, we can print it, build this for three months, and then the next one, six months. It's like, the, it doesn't matter if we want 10 or we want one. It's all three months mm -hmm. because uh, we have, we have a huge uh, factory back in China, and then it's it's loaded with parts, and all we need is to assemble them together. And then those three months largely come from waiting for customs and waiting for shipping and such. How long does it take to train a new team on your system? So, to train a team, it's it's well, it's a, it's a two different training part. So one one part is actually operating the system itself. Mm -hmm. That takes about a week, because to tr to be able to use it, it, it takes one, about thirty minutes to explain how sure. to use it. But to know the in inside out, where to clean, and uh, how to actually, you know, know the concrete flowing correctly, that takes about a week. Yeah. And then, but the other guy, uh, which is basically loading the material and then cleaning the machine, that's about thirty minutes training. Mm -hmm. So the two man team can be assembled anywhere with one of our technicians in under a week. Nice. Yeah, the gantry system, the only obvious advantage I've seen compared to a robotic arm is of building a monolithic structure uh, where it's all one continuous layer throughout, like, say, a 2,000 square foot building. Yeah. But here in California, you're not allowed to do monolithic concrete anyway because of the earthquakes. You can only have yeah. up to, like, six or eight feet. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like there's really any advantage to the gantry system here. Yeah, I mean, the debate between gantry and then the robotic arm is going to be ongoing forever. But... The way we see it is that the robot arm is at a human scale, and then that does not disrupt any of the current uh, construction industry at mm -hmm. all. But I hate when people say, oh, we're going to disrupt this industry. That's not going to happen. You are a startup. You're not going to convert a $1.6 trillion industry overnight. So what we can do is, I'm quoting uh, Caterpillar here, is incremental value gain, value add to the industry. So you, so you see the problems of the industry, you help it, with technology bit by bit, and then it's, you're supplying with the industry with more productivity, not converting and not losing people's jobs. Yeah. What we're doing here is that we are giving people the opportunity to do more people the opportunity to work on construction, but before you have to be fit and be strong, you have to take certain risks, and then you are, you are more likely to be injured in the industry because yeah. you're moving material. And also on top of that, you have to be skilled. And all of that takes a lot of people out of this industry. And then, but what we do is that we make the system so easy to use. And you can see it's literally just push buttons and then cleaning the thing. 
and more people can come into the industry. Uh, to operate the machine, you can now have uh, disabled people, you can now have veterans, you can, you can have uh, people from different genders come into the industry. Now you don't have to lift 100 pounds. All you have to do is, the most you're gonna lift is a, is a panel or a water jet. That's all you need to do. Yeah, with a batch blend mixer, it's nice. I was doing some mixing, lifting the 25 kilogram sacks, it gets tiring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so now the, the only lifting is lifting the, the box with the material into, into a, uh, the, the material box that's literally almost on the ground. Sure. So it's uh, like, well, like half a feet of lifting, and that's it. And then you can break that in, down into, into small batches, it'd be much easier. Yeah, and so we'll, get, we'll see this later, but when you're mixing your material at the batch plant, uh, you load in sand separately from the cement, separately from the water, uh, no, so sand and cement and all the additives well, get mixed first. Uh, no, it goes into the box mm -hmm. and separately then, or together. Together, and then the water. Well, the the system has a water jet and it's very accurate, but we're not using that today because our hose kind of broke and it's leaking everywhere. Mm -hmm. So now we're just dumping in the water, and then so it's and then when we ho hook up the hose, when the machine will be working hundred percent. Only thing you have to do is loading the sand cement and additives to the to the material box, and that's it. And then the water injection is accurate to about one millimeter, and then you you, you can tell how much water you need, and uh, everything else is automatic. So you have to just be careful when you're mixing it, getting precise ratios. Yes, I mean the precise ratio of the sand and cement. Yeah. How much leeway do you have? Like, if you accidentally shovel in an extra shovel of sand, is the whole thing ruined or? Well, not really. It's it's actually the water that makes that wins and kills the material, and then that's why we have a very precise water jet, mm -hmm. and then that that actually wins and kills it. Printing outside, uh, are you conscientious of the temperature changes, and do you make adjustments to the mix through the day? Yeah. So with this, while we're developing this in California, you have a huge uh, temperature changes. About like the minimum is about twenty degrees during the day. So in the beginning, it was a big problematic for us. That's mm -hmm. why we developed it inside, so we close the doors to the outside and then we blast the AC or blast the heater to have a you know, consistent uh, temperature. But, but when we, after that, after we got a consistent design, we started playing with you know, the, the, the different additives to get it through different temperatures mm -hmm. and different water and different ways of doing it. So now we can do it basically from 60 degrees to almost 100 degrees. And then the, the way to change it is just adding our adding mix or simply add more water. It really depends on the temperature of the day. Have you sold any printers yet in the short time you've been in the States? Uh, not as yet because uh, recently we have been perfecting the, the mater yeah. material and then the machine and then we've been waiting for the new unibody to come in because that just saves a lot of labor and then it just automatically uh, automates the process a lot more. Yeah, what do you anticipate the kind of popular markets for you being in the States? Well, majority it will be for uh, smaller to single story uh, residential mm -hmm. housings. And then, because uh, the way the machine is, it can do very interesting shapes. So, actually, one of the bigger markets is going to be on short term rental markets. Yeah, so, because these can just came out with very interesting and unique design buildings. Yeah, like Airbnbs? Yeah, like Airbnbs. Yeah. Cool. You plan on doing a, your own building soon. Yeah, so we are planning on doing a small demo project for uh, homeless uh, housing 
because that's a big issue uh, in California and throughout the states as well. And then we want to use use this technology to build uh, semi permanent housing that looks dignified and has a great exterior yeah. and have great living conditions. So instead of just putting up a uh, a kind of crumbling tiny house, that, that so because uh, it doesn't really make sense if you build something that kind of solve the problem but not long term you want something that looks good and also very cost efficient yeah in a space like you're in uh it's very incremental like you're not just coming in and replacing the whole construction process at once it's beginning with the concrete the walls uh how do you see the evolution of automation uh starting from kind of like step by step and then far into the future well from what i see and what i understand the construction industry you're not you're never going to really replace the human power mm -hmm. i mean the human mind is some some of the most smart some of the most sophisticated living organism in the whole universe and all that, the opposite of that too yeah and also that brings its problem so what's the best about this that you don't let human do the mundane the the, the repetitive the dangerous dangerous repetitive dangerous stuff that's in the construction industry right now let the human do the observer. Let the human do the uh, controller. Creative. Yeah, the, and then do the creative stuff. And then also use the human to solve solve and deal with problems that came uh, mm -hmm. come up. And then that's what I think what we're doing here. We're using robotics, we're using automation to increase productivity. And then like you use robot to do the heavy lifting, to, to print the heavy stuff to deal with dangerous environment. And then the human can be a governor to the machine. Can the, the human can just be there to supply the machine, like, and then to solve the problems when he arrives. Because no matter how automated, how smart, how sophisticated the machine is, it always breaks. Yeah. But human minds are smart. Human minds can solve the problem. And that's where I can see them being like a very integrated, almost a cy cy yeah. cyborg in a, in a whole mm -hmm. kind of situation. And then, so that's how our machine and how our development come to be. So we take apart the whole process, and then we take the repetitive, take the dangerous part out, and then the human is still there. It just, one person can do so much more in the same amount of time. Yeah. And then that's basically the ideology. What would be some future things you would look to automate uh, besides the concrete wall sections? Well, because actually, interestingly enough, before this, before 3D printing, before our first printing project, mm -hmm. our first project was 3D, oh, not, it's a way, it was an automated brick layering system. That's way before all the, uh, the sand yeah. and all that stuff. Like we, we, we automated, they built a curved brick garden. What size brick? Uh, it was a standard size brick. It was not the CFU. Mm -hmm. It's a, I, I don't know. Two inch by six inch. Something yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, it's about like ten thousand pieces, and it was done in like a couple of days. Cool. Yeah, and then so we developed the, uh, the the suction cup, and then the the cement extruder. So it's the two in one. Effector mm -hmm. head that actually does the whole job. Yeah, and you mentioned as you were exploring different construction technologies, there were like twelve different options. You thought you could pursue and you decided to start with 3D printing concrete, but you may go into some others? Well, so that's actually a very early on conversation about five years ago. Mm -hmm. That does not, that does, doesn't uh, 
that's not only 3D printing mm -hmm. through body arm. It was including there were different twelve different uh, paths. There was uh, AI design, uh, AI something, uh, AI floor plan design, and then there was uh, smart uh, welding, and then there was like a, a lot of different ideologies we were playing with because we had architect. There are so much problems. Yeah. So we just find twelve. No shortage of problems. Yeah, exactly. And then the reason we settled on three D printed concrete is that it contains and it takes up the largest percentage of the building itself. Mm -hmm. It's basically when you have the walls, you're almost done volume wise. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like uh, scope of work wise, you have like so much more to go. But this is like a funding point. So when you get the wall, everything else goes on the wall. And that's why we started on 3D printing concrete, which is, is the largest percentage volume-wise in the building sector. And then after that's done, since we're using robotic arm, and that's what the more of a reason we, why we use robotic arm is that the, the 3D mesh locating system is there. It's all it does to be you replace the any factor, you replace it with the grabber. You can put windows. Mm -hmm. You can put wood. And then you replace it with welding system. It, the, the welding system is already there. It's it's been used in factories throughout yeah. the world. You take that, you put a saw on it. It's a very precise cutter that that saves the uh, human labor. Human labor, and then it also protects the labor from cutting themselves. Mm -hmm. And then you, you you take that, you you do countertops. Which cost actually costs a fortune to do. Yeah. From what I understand, it's one table countertop can cost two to six grand. From what I understand, the robot can do it no problem. There's no dust that goes into human lungs that cause problem later on. There's it's just so, so much easier that the robot can do. So that's why we start with three D printing concrete, and then but later on the 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 the, the, the majority of system is already there. It's just about developing the any factors that's already existed. Yeah, I think the biggest value you're creating is a team that understands how to integrate robotics with construction projects. So as the future evolves, uh, new technologies will emerge, and it'll be teams like yours that understand how to take an STL file from a computer and send that to a robotic arm uh, that'll understand how to implement the technology that exists today, but also the technology that comes tomorrow. Like the guys swinging a hammer aren't going to be able to adapt as quickly. Exactly, exactly. So all of that is to make the whole process easy, make the whole process safer. And then it's taking the skill part, all the skill labor shortage mm -hmm. that's currently existing. And then from when that happens, like young people, who, from what we've seen, from what we understand, hates going to construction industry right now because yeah. it's not dignified, it's dirty, it's dangerous. It's difficult. It's difficult as well, and it takes a long time to learn, and you might not really understand how to do it in the end. It's taking that part out, but bringing more opportunities, more productivities to the industry. I don't think the dignified part's the problem. Like people love OnlyFans and all that stuff these days. <laughs> I think it's the people don't want to sweat and like actually yeah. work hard in the sun. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. In the in the sun, in the dust, and uh, like having 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 equipment around you that you know might swing mm -hmm. on you, might injure you. Oh, that part. Yeah. So what does RIC need right now to grow the fastest? So I think now we just have um, what we call um, capability to build fully scale housing. 
So right now we want to develop the current projects we have and then to have, have them as demonstration and show. Yeah, and then we have about five different projects that's in the permitting phase in Arizona, Florida, and New York. Nice. Yeah, so that's actually the hardest part. Like the technology is there, we build stuff, and then that's that's not a problem. You picked places, states that already have at least one permitted 3D printed building. So. Exactly, and then what we want to showcase is that not only it can be 3D printed, it can be beautiful, but also it can be really cost effective using the modular system, using our ideology, using our really reasonably priced material. So are you starting from the permitting process? So that's actually a very unique part of our company. So we have a architect firm for 30 years now. Yeah. So right now, all our clients that come to us, we actually give them a new understanding of it. And then we do the concept design for them to really fully uh, express how 3D printing can be done. Like that's something that none of the other companies can do because like we are architects from the beginning and then since we developed this we know every bit of capability that third printer can do and then what kind of spatial experience you can get from the technology and then that's how we were able to get very interesting uh, renderings and then these are not renderings as you can see from our videos our renderings looks worse than our real projects or our product looks so much better than the rendering, and that's really unheard of in the conventional construction before. Yeah, renderings aren't good at capturing the way light bounces off of objects, and when you have such a cool uh, angle. shape, like a parametric yeah. design, yeah. Uh, like the renderings don't capture the light as well. Exactly, exactly. So that's actually like, what, when we give the rendering to our clients, that wait until you see this when it's built. It's, it's just such a, unique and then such a futuristic looking product so came to be. coming from an architectural firm that's 30 years old uh, in China what does feng shui mean to you well feng shui is depending on how you look at it, it can be superstitious but also it can be what we would call uh, wisdom wisdom and experience it's like it's like an old Chinese way of looking at things it's kind of mysterious but also it's logic. It's, it's, a, it's a yin and yang between the both. So you have to look at it subjectively. And then you have to believe it and not believe it at the same time. Yeah, I like feng shui. And when it's convenient, I try to follow it, like having a headboard <laughs> and not having windows behind your bed. Yeah, or um, having a mirror in front of you while you're sleeping. Uh, yeah, I don't even put a mirror in my bedroom. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that. <laughs> the, so feng shui on a scale of one to ten, how important would you say it is to you? I would say it's five. Five. Yeah. I would say to me it's like six. Yeah. Uh, like if I can, I will follow, will follow it. Uh, but I wouldn't not live somewhere because of. Yeah, yeah. But if it's something that you really cannot decide on, and that you know it's up to fate, that's something. That's sometimes you actually want to listen to it. Mm -hmm. Interesting, and that's yeah. that's following feng shui. It's like even if it's against this, sometimes if that's the natural. Yeah. Way. Interesting. Is there any other uh, kind of like Chinese design philosophies that you bring from to well this company? Well, this here's the thing. I'm I'm trained and I grew up in a Western mindset. Yeah. So the the Chinese part, I would say, is uh, we want to work really hard and uh, we want to get the more most result out of our work, and then. That's just how we are raised. And apart from that, 
I believe in productivity. I believe in uh, cost efficiency. I believe in giving people rights yeah. of what they deserve. Yeah, so those are the things that I really believe in. And then that's something our company follows. And then you can see later on through the printing process, like, the, like helping the labor force build better is very important. And then it's a manifesto in our machinery and the equipment itself. So as this company grows and expands, um, what's your plan for the next 10 years or looking far into the future? Well, we would like to use the end of the profit and the product as a stepping stone for more technology that mm -hmm. comes to the industry. That so basically using products and then using profits, putting back in the company, using that 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 resources to develop more unique and a more helpful technology to help the industry in, you know in a bigger scale. Yeah, I like to hear that because it's all about innovation and it's not innovation isn't ever done. Yeah, I mean, like it's uh, the construction is just so far behind, and there's so much more. It just uh, off the top of my mind, there are like a hundred things that we would like to do, and uh, we have like plans about ten different types of robots that uh, that's developing. And actually, we recently uh, put one of them into plan, which is replacing the track with a AGV platform, and then so that would enable the uh, the whole system to move mm -hmm. more freely in the construction site, and then putting more of the intelligent part into the system that's also taking a lot less strain off of the supervisor's mind and that would just give it the system a lot more uh, productivity overall. Why is construction in China so fast? They build like one floor per day in Shenzhen. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I would say it's yeah, several reasons. One of them is uh, labor is a lot cheaper, obviously. We have so much more uh, people. Yeah, that's essentially. And then so we can put more people on, on single job sites. Mm -hmm. And then labor cost is a lot less. So that's also how you're able to put more people on the job you site. Can work 24 hours. Yeah, and then the systematic approach is more important because a lot of the buildings are not single story, uh, it's, it's high rise, it's, it's high density, and then you are doing the same stuff over and over, and then that's actually, just systematically it's faster. Yeah. And then obviously innovation is another huge uh, factor. Uh, the, the, the tallest building in Beijing right now, they for that building, they build a system that climbs itself on top. So like you, you build a core and then it climbs up. You build a core, it climbs up. Yeah, it's really cool. So innovation and then technology also plays a big part. So to basically, get, and then I guess their end results for developers is to have the most amount of uh, productivity for their cost. And then that's also a driving factor of how technology are developed. What about from a company structure standpoint, like the American general contractors, I like to say it's almost like every single person on the construction site is their own independent entrepreneur. You have the GC and then they hire 15 different subcontractors, then each of those subcontractors are hiring maybe independent contractors on 1099s that say yeah. they're self-employed contractors with yeah. their own name on their truck and everything. Yeah. Uh, so you have 100 people working on the job in 100 different businesses with 100 different CEOs uh, and they're all trying to follow the architect's directions and it's a mess in America at least. So in China, is it different? Well, uh, yes and no. It, the structure is largely the same. You have big 
general contractors that takes the whole job. And then that company always, at least in China, fronts the financial part. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons they can actually get the job. And then they contract that down to smaller GCs that also fronts part of the financials. And then it just passes down. And then, yes, it's the same and not the same. But the, the organization, when you're actually building, they control everybody in a more of a military style. So everybody lives together on, on the site, mm-hmm. and then everybody follows a, like, uh, like a consistent order in the construction site. And then, and then the, the, one of the reasons, uh, the, the way it's faster is that uh, everybody listens better. Uh, yeah, I think that's one of the Yeah, reasons. I was going to ask about that. Uh, like, your education, how old were you when you came to the United States? Well, I actually came here from middle school in the beginning. Wow. Yeah, so, so I understand both sides of the sea. And then you went back to China for high school? or For high school and uh, undergrad. Yeah. And then here for grad school? Yeah. And dropped out? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, I mean, like, me as a uh, Chinese, uh, well, me as a Chinese uh, foreign exchange student in the beginning, it's very important to learn both sides of the culture. You, you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, I think America doesn't put enough value into being a part of a, of a good engine. It's like, you don't have to be the fuel, you don't have to be the most important piece, but every single piece of the engine is important to make it. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that, that's why uh, you know, like engines run very smoothly because you, you need the lubricant. You, I mean, yeah, everything. Yeah, I mean, even though uh, even every little piece is designed to subsification, subs- but you need an overall governing body to make it work. And then that's just one of the hardest piece of, I mean, construction is a lot of managing people, and then that's very hard. And that, that comes back to automation, is that automation is making each individual pieces very fixed and then very predictable. And then that, and then the human will end up being like more of a supporting role in the whole thing. Do you remember exercises in like high school or even elementary school that were training you to be a good team member? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, definitely. in what? How would they go about that? Well, that basically uh, one of the more uh, conventional activity would be everybody just line up in a big playing field and then do the same gymnastic sure. thing, and then your head of the class and then your teacher will really shout at you, and then in some cities beat you if you don't follow the thing, and then that's well, that's a very interesting lesson. In, in life, so that lesson transcribes into later on in life, more everybody wants to, not wants to, but are more familiar to listening to a governing yeah. procedure. What happens to the kid, because I'm sure in every group there's one kid that says like, screw you, it's big trouble. Well, in the last couple of decades, those people end up being largely successful. The Alibaba well. founder. Well, well, yeah, he's a very extreme example, but yes. And then, but right after that, like, it's actually never really right or wrong. It really depends on who you are. I mean, like, if you're a person who is really good at studying, really good at following orders, like, you should not not do that. Like, it's really up to, like, who you are mm-hmm. and follow your capabilities, but not... I just want to defy something because I want to defy it. Yeah, <laughs> there are people like that. Yeah, uh, I think I've done that a couple times. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's how you learn. 
True. That's how you learn what type of people you are. Like it's through experience, it's through uh, just through living it. So maybe this is dangerous territory, but on the flip side, what things did you learn in America that were kind of novel? Well, what I learned in America, the value of a capital, capitalism. Sure. Yeah, it's about, it's about creating value, and then it's like the society will reward you when you create real value to mm -hmm. society, but also that you you have to look out for the people that's pretending to create value. Mm -hmm. Because that sometimes can really bite you. Because like I live, I live in LA. LA is a city that's of actors. Yeah, the, yeah, actors. Yeah, and then you have to really learn how to distinguish who wants to really pro, go with you and then just provide more value to society rather than pro, trying to get value for themselves. Yeah, yeah, and then but it's it's a, it's a it's a something it's a two blade sword, right? Like. From from here, I learned if you really work hard, and then this is one of the rare countries you can do it. If you really work hard, if you put put in your thoughts, you put in your physical, you can actually make a good result for you and for society as well. Yeah, certainly. If you uh, pick a good thing to work towards, and uh, exactly, exactly, a little bit smart maybe <laughs> helps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there's. It seems like there's been success stories of entrepreneurship from China too, like the the Baba founder, and there's other people who have kind of started from nothing and built businesses there as well. Well, the thing in China is that uh, you political matters play a large role as well. You really want to look at what the government wants, and then obviously now the government really wants good living for the people so you just follow what the governments want yeah it's interesting to like make that a china thing especially like you look at facebook and facebook's early funding a lot of that came from the department of defense and yeah. so like yeah. people criticize china for having government looking at social media but it, like we're no we're probably not that much different like maybe well, china has better algorithms now <laughs> i don't know well i mean all, all governments wants good on their people sure. it just the way of implementing that is different at different stages and different times in history. Yeah, Americans tend to put too much criticism on other countries and maybe not look <laughs> inwards often, but uh, it's cool to see like more collaboration between countries and like internationally, historically maybe that hasn't been as easy for companies to do business. Well, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, uh, pe it's people at the end of the day. Like, we as people want to help other people but we don't also you know just want to do it for no reason you want to do it with a financial like like a like a like a financial model that makes sense and so that's why i think technology is very important because it really increases productivity and so in this way like the you're just baking the cake bigger you're not taking other taking away others cake you're yeah. making the cake bigger and everybody's end up getting more out of it. As the, in America, the interest rates are all going up now. So I think that will decrease the risk taking and maybe we'll see less actors and more doers. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a big problem, like you mentioned, people making crazy claims uh, or even promising they're gonna 
so many people tell me they're going to start the next big 3D printed construction company. They don't even have a printer yet. They haven't done one print uh, yeah. to I mean, actually be doing it in concretes. Yeah, I mean, this is a concrete business. You have to do every single step very firmly, very steadily. And that's how you can get the best result or relatively the better result for your efforts. And then it's, it's, every step is important. Like you cannot miss any step. You cannot jump a hoop or take a shortcut. That would just end up you know, not making your business work. So those projects you mentioned in Florida, Arizona, New York, are those for clients or? Those are all for clients. Cool. Yeah, and then all of the all those designs are done, and then we're just going through the rigorous process, uh, which we understand the permitting process. Yeah, it's a pain, but uh... I mean it's understandable. Like if there wasn't a really rigorous and then like safe ordering process, mm -hmm. everyone can just kind of build a house on their own, and then there will be so much dangerous stories afterwards. Yeah, the worst thing that could happen is if a house collapses, and then they make three D printed houses illegal or something. Yeah, exactly. Stifle yeah. innovation. Yeah. I mean, because 3D printing is not that different from CMU. I mean, it's a giant, if you look at it, it's a giant yeah. CMU block. And then the material we use is a lot harder than CMU. And then the, the hollow part, you can always pour inside if the uh, designer and then the engineer choose to do it. Because in theory, it's not that different. The big challenge is getting vertical and horizontal tied rebar. Yeah, 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 that's true. Well, but that's also why you having a very flexible system helps. Yeah. You can really work your way around the design mm -hmm. of the engineer. And because uh, you see in the videos, the, the robot arm, since it's six axis, it can print in all different kinds of plane. So you're not restricted. If there's a, a bar there, you have to go on top, you can go around it and then still print. Very cool. So are you hiring for any positions at the moment? Yeah, we're always looking for uh, more innovative people in the robotic industry and then more importantly in the construction industry. Mm -hmm. Because this industry and then this type of business will not help work without real life knowledge, real life experience yeah. in the space. Because it's people who in the in construction industry bring to us the real problems. Yeah, it's true. That, 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 that we to solve, not we think there is a problem that we solve. Like that's that's the ideology of the the, the last uh, startup bubble that people ah we think there is a problem, and then they just do it, and then it turns out not to be a real problem. We want people in this industry to tell us what's the real problem is, and so that's why we want to work with people that have the experience, uh, have the knowledge, together. Have you thought about maybe printing your next headquarters? Obviously, yes. So we're that's actually the the house we're talking about. That that piece of land, we're gonna print like a temporary large outside headquarters for us. Cool. Yeah, that'll be very interesting to see because uh, we also have a line of our outdoor furnitures, and our current space is not enough to do sure. that in a scale. Nice. That'll be good to have a product that can go to market now. That's cheaper than a printer. And yeah, yeah, because uh, the outdoor. Outdoor furniture, outdoor parts market is very established, mm -hmm. and uh, what three D printing concrete can give to the to that industry is that you don't have to keep inventory. You can only keep inventory in the computers, and, uh, and now a lot of it is drop shipping. 
So whenever a order is filled, is filed, the printer just print that file. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, without keeping a huge amount of inventory and molds. But molds are very expensive. Yeah, molds are the. I get that. That's like the primary benefit. You can make a custom shape one off without yeah. a mold. Yeah, yeah, and then with little cost. I mean, the the cost will be to getting the specific dimensions from the customer. That's the only more cost that's come to it. Ideally, one day you're just sitting in your office and you see the order came in your email. It automatically goes to the printer, and then some kind of autonomous truck picks it up and brings it to the location. Well, that's up to Tesla to solve that problem. Yeah, <laughs> they don't do that. You work on the uh, the rest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then also from the the building industry, I mean, at the end of the day, it, was, it would be up to autom autonomous trucks working with robotic arms. So even though later on, there might be even a version where the truck has the robot on itself, has a long-reaching arm that's, that's steady and stable. And the truck will just go there autonomously, and then the con concrete and mixer, and then the pump, and the extruding head, and the, the any factors work all simultaneously, simultaneously with the algorithm, and then just producing a building or a structure of some sort, and then the human there is just to monitor to keep it safe, and that's, that's the end goal, I guess. Yeah, it's not going to be easy to get there, but it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it's if you can send a, if you can send people to the moon, if you can send people to space as tourists. I mean, so the technology is there. This is the stability is there. It's more about getting the cost down to the part that makes sense for us. Yeah. To and then that's why our printer is what what we consider largely makes sense is that it really takes the cost down because. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about cost in 3D printing construction. If you talk about step by step, it's about doing the design in a in a understandable way. It's about doing bring the equipment to the site in a in a non-expensive way. It's about setting up the machine in a short amount of time in an inexpensive way, and then it's about taking the material, and then the material should be sourced locally. And it should cost because right now oh, we, we're actually ordering some material. We work on the order material from like Florida, and then the cost of shipping is more than the material itself, and that that just doubles the cost. Of yeah, the shipping's crazy these days. Yeah, and then that shouldn't be that way it, because like there's concrete everywhere. Why shouldn't you just source material from locally? And that's why like our mix design works with the most common sand and cement. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you 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 want to take apart the machine you know, in inexpensive way and then you want to like have the finished product overall in an inexpensive way so that's uh, how we want to do this and how we want to bring to the industry a new thinking of this so that's why each step of the way when we design the machine when we design the procedure we have cost in mind so you're not looking for any kind of investors or anything at the moment or well, for the investor part, uh, we want to prove to the community and prove to the industry that we ha already have a capability yeah. to produce. Because we don't want That's to, smart. We don't want to. Ah, we claim that we do this. I, I, I'm a concrete person. I want to showcase that we can yeah, do like things that. soundly, and we can we can show a very transparent data sheet of where money is going and uh, how where it costs and uh, what can be better. And then from that point on, it raise money based on that. I think that's the way to do it because in construction, like we were talking about, estimates are like so difficult to act. Having an as built with the real yeah. numbers, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah.
and then that's why currently uh, manufactured homes are great. Uh, it's very predictable, mm -hmm. but they are also ungrade because you have to fit that in a truck, and then. So what we understand is a hybridization between prefab and the on-site robotic Something you can fit in a truck that builds something bigger than... Yeah, it? and then have some of the parts be pre-made, -pre uh, manufactured. Sure. Yeah, like the windows, like the... Or even the a bathroom. Walls, yeah, like the bathroom, the wall system, and all of that. So, it's a, so you get the best of both worlds. And then, more ideally, the pre-made parts will be assembled by robots, you mm -hmm. know, as well. So it really can solve... Uh, the prefab companies, or oh, I want I have this great design. We can manufacture great stuff, but we can only put it in the in the truck, and then that that's why a lot of the companies prefab home looks great, but it's all boxy. Yeah, yeah. They also have just a negative connotation. People think of them as being cheap. Well, yeah. I mean, like because very much that's a house that you have to transport. So being transported, you have to make the house so much rigider, and then that's a lot more cost than building on site. Mm -hmm. So, and then you're obviously transporting a space rather than a like a, a solid piece. So all of that is cost, and then you want to keep that at a level of the current construction rate on site. That, that sometimes means cutting some of the more luxurious or like better features of the building. Yeah, is there a Anything left unsaid that mm. I think we will talk more when we started the print and then walk through some of the products we have done. Cool. Thanks for sitting with me. It's been great learning yeah. more about AI uh, yeah, it's RIC. Great to see you.